A traumatic or abusive relationship is very hard to overcome mentally and emotionally. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Health Break. Joelle Miletus, a trauma specialist, joins me today to talk about the trauma that impacts women after an abusive or toxic relationship. Hi, I'm Dr. Nafisa Sikandri, a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in anxiety-based disorders. I created the Mental Health Break podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you prioritize your mental health. Mental illness can cost you time and money. Ignoring your symptoms will only make the problems worse. Taking time out of your busy day to dedicate to improving your mental health can lead to long-term health and wellness. In this podcast, each week you'll learn tips, tricks, and proven strategies to help you regain control of your life, all while prioritizing your mental health. If you want to improve your life, regain control of your mental health, and feel empowered, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Today's episode is brought to you by the Transforming Anxiety Course, an online self-paced anxiety course to help you manage and control your anxiety from the comfort, privacy, and convenience of your own home. Learn how to transform your anxiety in just six short weeks. Course registration is now open. To learn more, visit transforminganxiety.com course. I'm so excited to talk to Joelle Melitas about the trauma related to relationships and how they impact women. Let me briefly introduce her before I bring her on. Joelle Melitas is a licensed marriage and family therapist who incorporated CBT and DBT skills, somatic work, EMDR, along with talk therapy and solution-focused therapy to provide a structure that allows clients to make changes in their own lives. By offering a safe space, Joelle works with a diverse clientele that includes C-suite executives, content moderators, active and retired military personnel, first responders, police and law enforcement, and those experiencing various forms of trauma, PTSD, and post-traumatic growth. Joelle has appeared in several TED Talks, as well as ABC 60 Minutes Beyond the Headlines. Joelle is also a published author, among her many other accomplishments. Hi, Joelle. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to to talk again. I know we've done this once before, so this will be great. Yeah, I just shared a little bit about your very impressive background. But like uh, you said, I was so impressed with your background and uh, with your knowledge and awareness that you're the only guest that has come back twice on this podcast. So uh, that's pretty impressive. Well, thanks so much. We had so much fun. I know we probably could have talked for five hours about this stuff easily. So I'm I'm really excited to be back and I've been looking forward to it. And we've gotten such a great response from our listeners as well. So well, trauma is such a huge topic. And the last time we really dove into understanding trauma and the different treatment options that are available. So of course, it makes sense for us to dig a little bit deeper this time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, I think when we talked too, we were in, I, I don't want to say the beginning phases of, of the global pandemic, but in a lot of ways, it, it we had no idea what we were what we were in for. And so now we're, we're if you can believe it, still there. And the trauma and vicarious trauma, secondary trauma that people are experiencing just from that alone, I think is is definitely different from when we talked last for sure. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to get worse, unfortunately, because people are having these experiences and they're saying anxiety is going to be the next pandemic or mental health, that mental illness is overall is going to be the next pandemic. Uh, it's definitely been on the rise anyway, and it's just this is pushing everybody over the edge. So 
Uh, I'm glad that you're doing the work that you're doing and educating and uh, teaching people. And so thank you for being here and having this, uh, continuing the conversation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Today we wanted to talk about um, relationships and women. And and I just finished doing a, a whole marriage series recently for the Muslim community and then educating them about the steps to take to avoid abusive relationships and create long-term relationships. But it's not just the Muslim community. It's that all, all my patients, regardless of what their background is, uh, once they get involved in a very toxic relationship, that, that trauma is lingering. It's very difficult for them to trust again. It's very difficult for them to move forward and have a healthy relationship. So can you talk a little bit about that and just uh, what 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 are some what what are the reasons that women get into these relationships and then uh, what are some symptoms that you notice uh, once they are out of a relationship like this? How is this impacting them and how does the trauma affect their lives? Yeah, I, there's such good questions that I think you know I'm sure with your clients as well, right? There's this difficulty of you know this is not the person I thought thought it was right and um now what do I do and it takes women so long to leave relationships so how they get into them is a good question I think sometimes it's the trauma cycle and it's so much easier to do something that I know and that I'm familiar with and I know that sounds strange or or counterintuitive but so many times women get into relationship patterns and they keep falling for the same kind of person and and that could be you know, mom, it could be dad. That's the way we used to think about it. I think more in a a traditional and Western sense of psychology. And now it's, you know, it it could be anybody that maybe feels comfortable. And and sometimes that comfort isn't necessarily positive. So somebody who's been abused as a child may seek out relationships that are similar because it's familiar. The unknown is way more scary. So I think that, that sometimes people get into relationships with personality types that they feel comfortable with, even if they know that that's not good for them or it's toxic. I think other women get into relationships and it goes sideways on them. And then they don't know how to get out or they can't get out. They, they financially can't. They, from, uh, you know, you talked about religion from a, a religious perspective that goes against their ideology. Um, sometimes they have children and no other way to support children. And then depending where they live in the world, you know, what those rules and, and social norms are. And so getting out of those kinds of toxic relationships are equally as, as difficult. And then, you know, what do we see afterwards? Well, it used to be that the statistic for women was it took about on average, so it's again, it's an old statistic and it's an average seven times for women to finally leave an abusive relationship. They leave, they come back, they leave, they come back. And so I think what happens when, they get out of really toxic relationships, whether it's it's abuse in the more traditional physical, physical and emotional abuse, or if it's abuse in something that's financial abuse. Um, gaslighting is is been a term that people are using a lot these days when it comes to toxic relationships. And then they don't know how to trust. And so the biggest thing is they don't trust themselves. They don't trust the world. They don't trust other people. And then there's that anger. I'm angry at myself and I'm angry at this other person. And so I think, you know, that's what we start to see when women are coming out of relationships. I mean, relationships are difficult as as they are, and especially now with the pandemic, just even dating 
just even online dating has completely shifted how people get into relationships. And of course, online, people can be anybody they want to be, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean who they are. And it's very easy to fall for that facade, for that illusion. And um, narcissistic abuse is definitely real. And a lot of, like you said, these people are co comfortable with this type of person. I think the word familiar might be better because a lot of them are like, I'm not comfortable. I don't want to attract the abusive mother that I had or the abusive father that I had. But yet it's so familiar at the subconscious level that they beeline for that person because they understand that. Uh, and I think that's what you meant when you said comfortable. They understand that pattern and going against that is so foreign that that's scary. Like I literally had this one person tell us that uh, the nice guys are boring. Mm -hmm. And so they're, draw they're drawn to the drama and the chaos and how would you recommend that these people break that pattern? Because it is so psychologically deeply ingrained and it's at the subconscious level. How, how do people break that so that they're not, they don't continue to fall into these horrible, toxic, traumatic relationships? Yeah. I, I mean, so, you know, we always start with talk therapy, right? Especially, you know, who you work with and who I work with, we tend to, to go there first. Um, there's all different kinds of therapies there, you know, somatic therapies or body therapies, um, and breaking that subconscious. I love the way you say that. The, the reason I say comfortable, and, and um, let me try and do a better job of explaining what I mean. You know, I love how you talked about the subconscious piece, right? We are absolutely familiar. We recognize these things. We don't necessarily understand why. Um, comfort in the body, and, and a lot of times feelings that are familiar and repetitive bring us comfort. And so our anxiety actually spikes if we don't know what's going on and we, and we don't feel like we can control it. And when we talk about toxic relationships and breaking the cycle of being in toxic relationships, a lot of the times it's being back in the body and trying to figure out what's okay with me, what's not okay, what am I comfortable with, what am I uncomfortable with. And so I think for, for me, you know, this idea of familiarity and comfort are commingled. Right. And that's not necessarily a positive thing. So when you're asking, you know, how do we break that cycle? So much of it is making it conscious. What are we, you know, what are we responding to emotionally? What are we physically responding to? What are our thoughts telling us? Um, how do we cognitively work with our thoughts? Can we stop our thoughts? and move forward? Um, can we say, oh, you know, here, here are these flags. And in the past, you know, I used to just say, oh, I don't know if it matters. And now I'm looking at it saying, well, maybe this is, this is something I should be a pay, paying attention to, right? This person's exciting. They feel comfortable. That quote, nice guys are boring. I think you mentioned, right? Um, that's not exciting. And I'm used to being stimulated all the time, you know, and, and that's, that's what happens with toxic relationships is that we're stimulated negatively and positively all the time. So that calm can be anxiety provoking. It's also uncertainty. Our, our brain doesn't like uncertainty, especially if we have a history of trauma and anxiety. Right. And so we want consistency or we want familiarity for our body to relax. Unfortunately, what's familiar is the toxicity, the drama, the chaos. Yeah. And so, um, I, I've had friends that have said, you can fill a stadium full of really nice guys and I will beeline and find that horrible, toxic person. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it, 
comes back to that first question you asked, like, why? Like, why do we do that? You know, and why do women do that? And what I've been really interested in is these trauma responses. And and there's more people talking about trauma responses. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. And that ends up being a trauma response, right? Or finding the one person, that one guy in the crowd, right? And you're like, be a bunch of really nice people and I'll find the one, you know, one undesirable person. And that's the one I want to start really, right? Like we get into these cycles as women and the trauma component is, well, it's exciting. Oh, well, this person's going to be different. I think some of it is that nature versus nurture. We want as women to nurture and we want to have relationships that are nurturing and we fall into patterns of, well, I'll just mother you. I'll mother you and you'll change, <laughs> Right. And I think all of those things are trauma responses too. I'll fix you. Yeah, I can fix you. The other, and then they believe when this toxic person blames all of his exes as being crazy, but you're, you're different. You're special. That's where the love bombing comes in. That's where the gaslighting comes in. That's where they tell you, you're the, you're the only one that matters right now. And then you believe right. it. It's like, of course, I'm the one that's going to fix this person. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't think that that's quote narcissistic end quote, right? Like on, on women who are in a, re- in relationships like that or fall for, or fall for people like that, you that's know, what I, I mean, it's the people yeah. they fall for, not that they're the ones. Right. Right. And so, so, you know, it's this, Oh, I'm special. Oh, I, I mean, we all, that makes us feel good. Right. And, and, you know, I want to be special. I want the person that I'm with to choose me. Right. And I, I want to be wanted and I want to be needed. And, and it makes me feel good when all these things happen. So here you have somebody that's, oh, you're the only one or you're the one that's going to fix it. Well, oh, you're the only one that gets me. Um, you know, I'll change for you, honey. I love you so much. Right. Like you name it. And and that level of manipulation is. is on, it's on a whole nother level of manipulation. Right. And so women come out of these relationships and it's like, I, not only do I not trust men, right. Or people, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself to make good decisions. And it leads to that because you've been burned so much that you don't trust yourself anymore. Yeah. And so you end up making bad decisions or this is better than nothing. I'd rather yeah. be with somebody like this than be alone. Yeah. That's more painful. Right. And I think, I think all of that comes from, from trauma. And if, if somebody didn't have trauma before that kind of relationship, they probably have some sort of trauma after that kind of relationship, right? The thing that happens when we talk about just even narcissistic relationships is initially they will pursue you. The, I mean, you become a victim. You become groomed for these people as a, as a target. And then they pursue you relentlessly and they're, they do the love bombing. They make you feel so special. They're, everybody else is awful compared to you. And so you get so used to that level of attention, not realizing that as soon as they get you, they become distant. They become emotionally unavailable. So then you're constantly trying to go back to that level. I mean, no drug is more powerful than love, right? And we think yeah. we're in love with these kind of people. Um, and so that's what I really was interested in having this conversation with you, you being the trauma expert, because Mm -hmm. a lot of women don't realize how a relationship like this can have long term effects. I mean, 
just from the divorce perspective, like you said, once you're in it, you might not be able to get out. Right. Five to seven times, maybe even five to seven years before you even realize you're in a relationship like this. Yeah. And, and what, you know, what, that, you know, what does that mean? Yeah, what what does that mean for me in in all of my other relationships, right? Even and platonic relationships. So if I'm in a romantic relationship like that, you know, chances are I'm being cut off from my friends and family, right? Because that ha- that happens often. You know, it's all about control, control and attention. You know, I want 100% of your attention 100% of the time, and so if you're not giving it to me, then I become abusive. And like you said, an abuse can be like that emotional withdrawal. I'm going to withhold love from you. I'm going to withhold sex from you. I'm going to withhold money from you. I'm going to withhold attention and friends. Right. Um, so that's abuse. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that somebody is experiencing physical abuse in their relationship, right. To have an abusive relationship. So I think women don't know how to define it either. Exactly. Unless I'm being physically punched, then I'm not in an abusive relationship. Right. Not realizing that the name calling, the put downs, the uh, the making you feel inferior, the social isolation. I mean, the best way to control you is to completely isolate you from your social support and from your friends and family. Uh, but also, can you talk about the domestic violence cycle? Because that directly ties into this where a lot of women don't realize that they're in that cycle of abuse and then apology and love. I mean, just all of that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's what we've been talking about. So just to put names to to everything we've talked about thus far, right, is, is it starts with, you know, I love you more than anything. You know, you're the only one that gets me. Um, and, it, and it's a very intense beginning to a relationship. It doesn't always have to be a super fast beginning to a relationship, but typically they are. Um, and you know, it, it's very passionate emotionally and physically. It, it's very intense with all the feels. Um, there's lots of gifts. There's lots of flattery, meet my family, meet my friends. And so they start off with these very intense relationships. And then once you're, you know, once you're committed to the person, um, and they're, you know, the true colors start to show, it starts with anger and hostility. And so, the anger and hostility and the rage sets in and then the fights start there. Right. And after, after the fight, and that could be, it could be everything from name calling, like you said, you know, it, it doesn't have to be somebody who's being physically punched um, or someone throwing, you know, I, I've, I've heard lots of stories, right. And, and somebody having things thrown at them or holes punched in the wall. It doesn't have to be that it can be, name calling and saying very vicious things, um, even threatening divorce, right? In, in an argument, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to divorce you, I'm going to take everything from you. Um, you're crazy. I'm going to, you know, 50, you know, 5150, I'm going to put you in the hospital and take away the kids. I've heard all sorts of things, right? And then after the dust settles from that, and the person realizes their bad behavior, and I'll put that in air quotes, right? Bad behavior. Um, the the apologies start and I'm so sorry it'll never happen again I'll get help I'll go to therapy um, I love you more than anything there's a lot of gift giving there's a lot of passion that comes back in um, and this m- mental gymnastics that women do well he's changed well it's not going to happen again well he said he, he's sorry he's never going to do it again 
Um, and so there's this cycle of, of relaxation in the relationship that happens and then connection. And again, I know that that sounds strange to, to hear it that way, but there's this reconnection that happens after abuse. Um, and then there's the ramping up. The person's on edge again. They're getting agitated again. Um, women report they feel like they're walking on eggshells because there's this pre-contemplation, post-contemplation component to it. So pre-contemplation, um, I'm not sure I'm angry and I'm not sure what he's going to do. And then the incident happens post-contemplation. Maybe I'm going to leave. He tells me he's so sorry. He loves me. And then there's that passion and I'm back in it. So it's this constant cycle of it's bad. It's amazing. It starts to get bad. I'm walking on eggshells and I'm bracing for it. Okay. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. The thing happens again. It's bad again. And we're back in this, but I love you more than anything. I'll change. And so it's cyclical. It's a horrible cycle. And people joke about how they get addicted to the makeup sex, right? Yeah. And they're making up. They're ma they get addicted to that chaos. They get addicted to um, just that whole arguing. And then they consider that to be passion. And, and right. so it's really, and so a lot of people are like, well, there's no way I would fall for a relationship like that. I'm too smart. And that's the thing that that's so sad about this. I've known people that were psychologists. I've known people that are smart and beautiful. And I mean, just when you hear about Halle Berry considered one of the most beautiful women, how she keeps getting into one abusive relationship after another. And mm -hmm. to the point that she, I think, has hearing loss from a guy hitting her so hard that she ended up losing her hearing. And so it has nothing to do with whether you're smart or you're beautiful. We're all victims of this. And so for this reason, I, I need to just really emphasize how devastating this is because of the effects it can have. So can you talk a little bit about the trauma and what that looks like and how that will affect them moving forward in their lives? Yeah, you know, it, it, it is, it's, it's sad. And, and when you say, you know, I thought I was so smart, I thought I was, I, I could have recognized this, I thought I was better than this. I think we forget that, you know, we fall in love. And there's that those are, are big emotions physically too. Like you said, there's a biochemistry component and pain and pleasure actually run in the same um, neurotransmitting center of our brain. And so, you know, there's all of this biochemistry that's behind why we make choices, especially in, in love relationships and, and that intensity. And so, you know, it feels, it feels good. And we want to believe our partner, you know, we, we want to believe that we're being told the truth, right. And they're not lying and they will change and they do love us as much as we love that. Right. We, we, we believe all of this stuff. And so the trauma piece puts us in these states where we no longer can trust our own judgment. And so we start to question our own values. We question our own belief. We question our intelligence. Are we really smart? Can, can we really make good decisions? And then we also don't necessarily trust the people that, that were already in relationship then. And so, you know, it impacts our everyday living. Then trying to get into a new relationship, right? Women tend to cut off good relationships and healthy relationships because they don't know what they want. And it doesn't feel the same. Like you said, you use the analogy with some of your friends where, oh, there could be a, you know, a stadium full of really nice guys and I'll pick out the one, you know, the one not great one or, you know, the one troublemaker, the one jerk. Right. Um, and it's like, yeah, we start to cut off relationships because, oh, they're too nice right now. Something bad's going to happen. I better get out. 
And so we, we stop, you know, having the ability to trust the executive part of our functioning. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that I'm seeing women have identity issues, they have sexual functioning issues, um, their self-esteem is, is, you know, completely tanked. They don't believe in themselves, you know, which is, I think, worse in a lot of times. It's not, not that I don't believe in somebody else, but I don't even believe in myself. You know, I, I'm not, I don't have any value or worth. I'm only worth, you know, my value is only, you know, because I, I, you know, I provide sex or I, or I'm pretty or, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever this, this false narrative that women tell themselves to be able to tolerate the abusive relationship. And I also want to say, I know we're talking about uh, women and trauma, but obviously men can be in abusive relationships as well. And men can be uh, in a narcissistic relationship with women that are narcissists. It's not just that the men are. So I, I want to really be clear about that. Just as right now we're talking about women and the trauma that it, that it uh, causes uh, and then how hard it is to get over that. Because like you said here, they, a lot of them are attracted to men that are abusive and in these traumatic relationships because of the homes that they grew up in. So right. what are some steps that you would recommend for women to avoid something like this? Because if that's the familiar, if that's their foundation is yeah. trauma and chaos, how is it possible, first of all, for them to have healthy relationships moving forward? And then what are some steps that you would recommend that they take? Yeah, I think, you know, absolutely healthy relationships. And so, you know, I, and, and I appreciate you bringing in that, you know, we, we are specifically talking about women and we're not necessarily even um, talking about women with, with all different um, types of relationships. We're really talking about, you know, from a, a hetero, uh, as women who are, are straight and in relationships with men. Just interestingly enough, women who are in relationships with with other women, the cycle is is very similar. Women who are the abusers and men are in relationship with women or with men who are abusers, the the cycle is very similar and and the symptoms are similar. There's there's a few nuanced differences, but you know it, it's not that people are interchangeable. I don't mean it that way, but we are just specifically talking about about male female or female male relationships. So yes, women can absolutely have healthy relationships and, and always joke and say it starts with therapy. I, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. However, there are great resources out there. There are podcasts and like this one, there, there are books, um, there are workbooks, there are, uh, you can take free classes on masterclass. There's all sorts of things to how do I work on my self-esteem? What do I want in, in, a, in a partner? And so, you know, my clients always tease me and say, oh, Joelle's going to tell me to make a list because I always tell people, all right, let's just start with the list and, you know, give me the laundry list. What do you want, you know, in a partner? Let's, let's start there. Give me the laundry list. And it's funny because people will, when they haven't had an abusive relationship or, they, or they're getting out of an abusive relationship, they are not focused on, you know, he needs to be X, you know, feet tall, or he needs to look like this, or he needs to have, they really start with, I want somebody who listens to me. I want someone who's going to validate what I say, who's going to say nice things to me, who doesn't call me the B word every time they get angry with me. So women will start with what they don't want. 
you know, I, I don't want to be abused the way I was. And so part of it is getting it out of the subconscious. So when we make a list and we're like, all right, let's write down the laundry list. What do you want in a partner? Women can start to see that, oh, does this person meet these, you know, these things that I've listed out, you know, I always joke and, and tell my clients, I'm like, you want to go out and, and share a meal with somebody and they don't have to pay whatever, whatever you're, you know, they can, you can, it doesn't matter. You want to be in a public place because you actually want to see how this person treats other people. How do they treat other women, right? How do they talk about their past relationships? You know, these are all clues as, as far as what is this person thinking? And so starting with, can we look at relationships differently? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, like you said, a lot of them hope that they never, or their language is, I don't want this and this and this. Right. I'm a big believer in the law of attraction and how we attract whatever we focus on. And if I'm constantly focusing on avoiding abuse, that's what I'm going to get more of. So right. focus, change your, your, the way you talk to yourself, focus on uh, maybe you're not comfortable with a good guy right now. Maybe the, the bad boy still catches your eye, but start changing that internal dialogue and say, no, this, I, I want stability. I want somebody that's emotionally stable, mentally stable, uh, somebody that's generous, somebody that's kind. Start planting those seeds in your mind so that your reticular activating system starts working and starts finding those people for you instead of, ooh, I like the bad boy. I like the one that makes me feel all nervous and, and excited with butterflies in my stomach. That's not love. That, that could be anxiety. That could be <laughs> anything but love. But yet that's what you're so used to. You beeline for, like you said, the familiar, the comfortable, the thing that you, are, you recognize as something that you've seen before. So you have to change the programming at the subconscious level. I really, I don't know how you feel about uh, affirmations, but I yeah. feel that that's something that we need to start saying, like, maybe I am good enough. Maybe I am worthy of, of love that's stable. Initially, you might be like, no, I'm not. I'm damaged. I'm not good at this. Mm -hmm. And I'm the one that's at fault for making these relationships not work. Whatever your mind starts coming up with. Yeah. But after saying these things in the present context, in the present moment, for 30 days, your brain starts to believe that. And then you start changing what yeah. you look for. Yeah. And I love how you, I love how you bring that in. And, you know, it's, it's, that's the biggest way to change the subconscious is, you know, yeah, that people will start with the negative. I don't want these things. Okay. Well, well like you said, you know, tell me what you do want. Um, I want to go back to this idea of the bad, of the bad boy. And, and it's really an interesting concept to me, especially studying trauma, because I think one can have it all. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of really nice guys out there who are stable, who have great jobs, who ride a motorcycle, right? <laughs> who wear a leather jacket, who play a guitar on a Friday night in a band, right? Like, so getting also out of this, this paradigm of, you know, bad boy means I'm treated badly. Now, maybe, but you know, somebody who's exciting and passionate and risk-taking and stable and kind and like, we can have it all. And I think as women, we don't think that we put ourselves in these, in these situations. We, we, 
fall prey to the paradigm. Um, social media is all about people can create whatever image they want. And so how do we find someone who gives us everything that we want, right? And so I, I always say, I want to be needed, right? Not because I um, need to fix you, right? Or, or need to, you know, I don't want that. I don't want somebody that I have to parent. That doesn't make for a healthy relationship at all. I don't want to be parented. It may feel nice in the beginning, right? But I don't want somebody who parents me because that's controlling. And that that's not a healthy relationship. So, but I want somebody who needs me. They 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 need um my company and and they, you know, and they they need our relationship in in a healthy way, right? So we're interdependent, not codependent. I want somebody who wants me. I want to be with you. You're my person. You know, so I want to be needed in an interdependent, not codependent way. You know, I want to be wanted. You know, I want to be with you and I want to be chosen. I choose to continue to be with you every day. I wake up and I choose this relationship, right? Because it's the right relationship for me. Not perfect. It's not perfect, but it's the right one. And I want to go to bed at night and say, you know what? I, I choose to be with you. And that doesn't mean we had a good day. Maybe we're fighting. Maybe we've had some unhappy times or we've been stuck in the house for 15 months together with COVID, like you name it, you know? Um, so being happy as a state of being, not a, not just an emotion. I'm happy, even though we're having some hard times is very different than I'm happy. And when you're angry, you abuse me. Right. right? That's a really different paradigm. Right. And I want to define the whole bad boy. Yeah, you can have tattoos. You can wear a leather jacket. You can be a, a biker guy. That's not what I mean when I say bad guy. I'm, I'm talking about the guy that treats you as if you're just a side opportunity that he can you can take take you or leave you. He is not consistent and reliable. Being specializing in anxiety, what I know people need from relationships, and maybe this is because the majority of my patients have anxiety, is that I tell all of them what they need is somebody that's consistent and reliable. I've met a lot of guys that come in the office that can look very intimidating. They're very big. They have tattoos. They might be bald, and they might have their leather jacket, and they might even carry weapons. Sweetest guys I've ever met. You know, that doesn't mean that they're the ones that I'm, I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm talking about the guy that, that mistreats you, that treats you right. uh, really, really badly. And you fall for that because you feel like that's what a relationship should be. It should be that I'm going to pull away and I'm going to come back and we're going to come back together passionately. And then I'm going to pull away again. And that's what people get, a, get uh, addicted to. I absolutely agree. And it's, I hear a lot of, you know, he looks so nice. He was so put together. He, you know, he's got this great job. Well, he may have a great, you know, he makes X figures. He went to this school, you know, and it's like, yeah. And he treats you terribly. The anxiety piece, I think is, it it can be there as a standalone. It doesn't have to be a result of trauma. Um, For many people, it is not. Sometimes it predates the trauma, you know, and, and so people are, are, they've had anxiety and they have a history of anxiety. And so the, even just consistency of this person is going to take me out for dinner or take me places, or we're, or we're going to spend time together every Friday and Saturday night when somebody who's anxious 
that predictability helps, right? And the, having that predictability does not mean that's a, that's a bad relationship. That's not what I'm insinuating. I, you know, when we talk about what happens after these relationships, somebody develops anxiety. And if they had it pre-relationship, their anxiety is through the roof now. And now that fight, flight, freeze is constantly in motion. They're hypervigilant. Their cortisol is, is through the roof all the time. And so it's, it's, I feel anxious all the time now. And that's times 10 when I'm in relationships. So anxiety uh, and trauma are so interwoven and symptomatically, right? Sometimes it feels the same. So I love how you, you know, when you say I work with, with anxiety and then you're talking about these kinds of toxic relationships. Yeah. Now we're adding post-traumatic stress, maybe not post-traumatic stress disorder, but absolutely post-traumatic stress and dissociation, fight, flight, freeze, hypervigilance. We're adding that now into the mix of somebody who may be struggling with anxiety to begin with, you know, on, on a, on a good day, you know, so part of this, this, you know, bad, you know, bad person for me is they fuel the anxiety. Well, I'll just leave you. Well, that's fine. I don't need you. There's so many other, there's so many other, I can get better than you. You need me. You're never going to be loved the way I love you. Right. And that fuels that what, what's already there with anxiety that taps right into that, you know, I'm never going to be loved again component. Yeah. And, and you don't realize that you don't want to be loved like this ever again, because this is not healthy love. But that consistency and reliability, you know, that doesn't feel exciting. I mean, I know for my brain, I have an over anxious brain. If you are consistent with me and you're reliable and I can count on you, if you say you're going to be there at 10 o'clock and I and the next day you show up or you say you're going to bring something and the next time I see you, you bring it. That makes me trust you because people with anxiety already have trust issues and somebody that can be consistent and reliable is really, really important to calm down that over anxious part of our brain. Um, and then these people that are consistent and reliable might not trigger that butterfly feeling in your stomach. You might not get that excitement, but that's exactly who you probably need to be with because that excitement and the butterfly isn't necessarily the recipe for a healthy love relationship. Um, and it might slowly unfold. And so that's that's something that for a lot of people, they equate that anxiety with, oh, well, he's playing games with me or he's not calling back. He's not texting when he says he's supposed to. Uh, I'm going to change that. I'm going to I'm going to be more. I'm going to dress nicer. I'm going to talk nicer. I'm going to wear different clothes just to get that attention, realizing it was never about you. This is how they are for everyone. Right. And, you know, I love that you identify that the butterflies, right? That's what we think. I think it's what we've been socialized to believe. Oh, this is what love is, is you get better, you know, you get butterflies. Um, so when I have clients coming in who are, have had very traumatic relationships or they're in traumatic relationships or the beginnings of tra- like just anywhere on that continuum, right? We spend time talking about how can you differentiate? because getting butterflies from somebody and that's that is the thing that tells me I'm in love is very different than I'm in love with a really great person right and I get butterflies sometimes sometimes I get nervous sometimes I feel anxious I have a very stable relationship and yet I still feel anxious okay 
you know, let's, let's work with that. So, you know, when you talk about what are things that women need to do to get out of these patterns and get out of their subconscious, you mentioned, you know, Halle Berry, right? It's starting to work with what are the physical or the somatic symptoms that you're getting when you meet somebody and you're like, oh, this may be the guy. And after a month, you're like, this may be the guy and, and he's treating you terribly. Right. And I know a month seems like people are like, oh, it's such a short time. I'm, and well, remember, these kinds of relationships are fast tracked. And so you've probably spent, you know, hours and hours and hours texting and talking and meeting and getting together. And what what does that make you feel? Right. What happens when you say, hey, I really can't talk tonight. I've got a, I've got an early morning. Right. Do you get this? Oh, of course, honey, no problem. Good luck. I hope you do great. Let me know how it goes response. Or do you get the, oh, no, I just need 10 more minutes. Oh, well, why are you leaving me? Well, why can't you just do it tomorrow? Well, why can't, you know, so it's recognizing all of those things. And then, like you said, the, that anxiety reaction, how are we feeling in our body with it? And you're right with the online and the texting, a relationship that used to probably unfold in three months can unfold in a month, really like go way beyond that time uh, because we are uh, in contact a lot more, but also not asking the right questions and, and really falling too quickly without really being aware of what you're getting yourself into. So if somebody is in a relationship like that, where they're, um, kind of coming finally we're able to get out of a relationship that was toxic what forms of treatment I guess would you recommend for them in order to start working on putting their lives back together and then hopefully attracting healthier partners moving forward yeah you know that it that that's such a hard question um I think it depends on what is the trauma you know what kind of trauma how long was the relationship um, what do they actually need? Um, what support do they need? And so for for me specifically, uh, being trauma-informed and, and my clinicians being trauma-informed and then also being client-centered. And so what does that mean? It's, it's we work very hard and we have a lot of training on how not to re-traumatize clients when they're coming to us and they're talking about trauma. Um, and then also that we're tailor-making uh, a therapy program for each client that's going to work for them. So for some clients, it is journaling and it is meditation and mindfulness and um, being being comfortable, getting back into the body. For some women, that's really working on being comfortable with sex. And what is, you know, there's books, there's specialists, there's all sorts of different um tools and techniques for women to work on, on how they feel in their body and how they show up in relationships um, with sex. And so it can be anything from EMDR, which is very specific for trauma work to skills-based CBT and um, thought stopping skills-based stuff, or some kind of a mindfulness training to work on that for other people. It could also be Uh, medication and medication for depression and anxiety. And typically, you know, again, since we're talking about women, typically women coming out of very toxic relationships do report they feel damaged. They feel damaged and they feel broken. Um, And so there may be their depression and their anxiety is, is really, really difficult for them to manage. And so sometimes medication is used to help with that, to get them moving forward. Um, So I, I think it's just, 
there's a lot of different things and it's really hard to find the support that you need when you're in or getting out of a relationship. Um, you're, you've probably burned out your friends because you've been talking about it and, and complaining and your friends don't want to hear it anymore. Um, and your family doesn't want to hear it anymore. And maybe they don't want you to leave for whatever agenda that they have for you or, or for that person. So um, having support, having a healthy outlet, reconnecting with people that you trust, you know, therapy, maybe even some medication. There's all different kinds of things I think that people can do to, to get the help that they need. Well, yeah, you did mention a couple. It's true. It, it's it's a comprehensive process as far as getting uh, better again, because you have to kind of put yourself back together. And it, I think it starts with self-care and really making sure you're taking care of yourself, you're sleeping well, you're eating well, um, taking your vitamins and supplements, and um, and then talking to a mental health professional that you feel safe. Because like you said, a lot of times, we think we have friends and family we can talk to, but they're so close to the situation, they may not be able to give us the feedback, the objective feedback that we need. Uh, and so talking to a, a trained mental health professional that you feel connected to, because at the end of the day, I mean, they've done so much research as to who should you go talk to when it comes to mental health professionals. It really doesn't matter as far as like training so much as it does. I mean, obviously training is important, but it really matters how you feel when you're talking to them. If you feel comfortable with them and you trust them and you have a connection with them, then you're more likely to take their advice and actually feel supported, right? And so yeah. you mentioned EMDR, which I love for trauma. And I know you probably you use that a lot for trauma. There's tapping, uh, there's other, there's talk therapy, there's cognitive behavior therapy to kind of help you uh, change the negative. Uh, self-talk that, that's going on with you, blaming yourself, thinking that you're the damaged one, you're the problem. All of that can go a long way in helping you change the way you see the situation. Absolutely. And I know we we, we talked about this on, on the, you know, the first time we connected, I think even before we recorded the first podcast, and, and you and I absolutely are on the same page where there's a lot of amazing clinicians out there, whether it's a counselor, a therapist, a social worker, psychologist, they, there's a lot of really great people out there. And there's a lot of terrible ones. And so if you meet a therapist or, or a person, you know, mental health provider that you don't like, find someone else. Don't be shy about interviewing them. Hey, have you worked? Do you work with people who are in toxic relationships or who are in abusive relationships? Or have you worked with women who are getting out of relationships? And if they if they say, oh, yeah, 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 that's kind of what I do. And you believe it? Cool. If you don't, go on, move on. There are so many, there are so many great providers out there. And that connection is absolutely the change. Self-care and, and, you know, I agree with you. It absolutely starts with self-care. That's typically not what I see when people are coming into my office. They're not sleeping. They're not eating. They're not, they're not socializing. Self-care. Opposite. Right. And so, you know, a lot of times we, doing the work in therapy for a, for a while before I can even get to, Hey, are you sleeping a little bit more? Are you, you know, and that again, that those are trauma responses. I don't need to take care of myself because I'm not worth it. And if I'm not worth it, then I, why would I, why would I do that? And that's not a conscious thought. I think I, I, I hope the listeners out there are, are picking up on 
the level of programming and grooming, as you said, and subconscious um, material that's humming in the background all the time, right? And so, oh, I didn't sleep well. I didn't eat well. I forgot to, you know, I didn't work out. I didn't meet my friends. I, I didn't feel like it. I blew them off. I'm isolated. I'm depressed. I'm watching, you know, eight hours of Netflix every day. I, I mean, you know, people get into these cycles that um, that they cannot break. And so the self-care part is so hard sometimes. Um, and it is it is a huge piece of getting well, Wallowing out. in it is, is easier than actually getting up and exercising. Wallowing in it and having a tub of ice cream is a lot easier than actually eating, making better food choices. So yes, right. uh, but that's... That's something if, if, if somebody's in going through this situation right now and you're in that sitting on that couch watching hours of Netflix, turn it off and, and go for a walk and see how you feel. Start off your morning in a very calm and slow way and see how you feel. Start journaling. Start dumping a lot of that rage and anger in your journal and go off on this person so that all that energy that's in your inside of you gets diffused. Start there um, and then call a friend, go hang out with your friends, rebuild your social connection again, because all of that is really, really important. I was going to ask you, have you seen this movie on Netflix called Good on Paper? I have. I have seen it. I actually, I, I really like the, uh, the comedian that, that, uh, that does that movie, but it's a great one. It's a great movie for women that, and, and she kind of talks about that, how we get so excited of how they look good on paper, uh, how they check all the boxes, they, they have the right job, they wear the right clothes, they have the right position or status or title, they make the right amount of money, not realizing they're horrible people. Um, and you, and, or they could be faking all of it, but we question ourselves because in this movie, I think she initially doesn't even like this person, but then she starts doubting herself and questioning like, well, maybe I should like him because he meets all the boxes. He checks out and not realizing I mean, everybody should watch that movie because it's based on a true story. I mean, it really happened to her. And I think the way she presents it in a comedic, comedic way is, is a good way to send the message of why we need to listen to our gut, pay attention to ourselves and not focus on just how they look on paper alone. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, journaling, journaling is a great everybody can, everyone can start it right now when you're done listening to this podcast, you know, take a piece of paper and, and write, you know, what, what, what I want, what do I need and what I desire. And so I think journaling, it's like, oh, I've got to sit down and try and figure out how to free write or, you know, for 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be that hard, right? What do I want? What do I need? What do I desire? You know, what am I deserving of when you talked about, you know, this law of attraction? And so writing those things down, putting them, I have sticky notes. If you could actually see my desk, you'd laugh. I, I have sticky notes and papers. And it's like, you know, when I was going through grad school, I was also going through a really tough time. I had a one and three year old. I was, you know, going through a divorce and it was rough. And I had a big sign that I had made in class that said perfectly imperfect. And I, and I know that sounds a little trite, but I am a ballerina by training. I did that for 22 years. Um, perfectionism is not only an anxiety response, 
it's a learned response, but it also is a trauma spot response, ladies. So all of you, you know, type A perfectionists, that can be a trauma response. And so, you know, from my own stuff, I had I had these affirmations. I wrote them on my bathroom mirror and um, quotes that I loved. And I, you know, still do that. And and I pin those up and, and it just hoping that that'll bleed into my subconscious a little bit, right? And, and can keep cultivating that mindset of, you know, it's okay, right? So I, I give myself, hey, okay, I, I know I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, but I am a perfectionist. And so I say, okay, you, you're allowed to make as many mistakes as you want, but you have to make three a day. So I set myself up for success. All right, you got to make three mistakes a day. Otherwise, you're not living, you're not, you're not in it. You're not present then. And anxiety runs in my family. So that need for perfectionism also runs in my family. And with my daughter, I really encouraged her to make mistakes. I didn't want her to have this belief that everything had to be perfect because mistakes can be our best teachers. Even these horrible relationships we get into and we, we get out of it and we're blessed enough to get out of it. We can look back and say, what did it teach me? And I think that's a good way to process the trauma is how, what, what can we get one thing out of it that was a that was a really important lesson for us that strengthened us as a person that made us realize that we're capable of more we want more we need more uh, and so that can be a good way for you to make sense of what happened it's like okay the only way you're going to stop making those mistakes is acknowledge that it was a mistake acknowledge what lesson you learned otherwise you're just going to keep repeating the same thing until you learn your lessons. But you mentioned journaling as far as what you want. It doesn't have to be these deep, long journaling sessions. You can just start writing down. And as far as going back to the movie, Good on Paper, start writing down and then prioritizing what is important to you in a relationship. If it is a degree, if, if those are the top, the degree, the job, the money, then you're looking for somebody that looks good on paper instead of looking for somebody that's kind, that's generous that's loving, that's generous with their love towards you. It's not generous with money. It's generous with their time, generous with their love, generous with their affection. Those emotionally available, those are things that, that should be top on your priority list instead of makes a certain amount of money, has a certain degree, looks really good in a suit, good art yeah. candy. Um, so yeah. those are things you can put in your, not only in your journal, but you can do a, a vision board and add those things on your vision board as well. Right. And like I joked earlier, you know, make a start with a list. What do all of the, what are the things that I want? What are the things that I don't want? And what are the things that I am not willing to tolerate? I'm not willing to tolerate somebody who's going to put their hands on me in, 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 in an abusive, a mean, aggressive way without consent. That that's not somebody that I want. Right. Write it down because it helps give you clarity. As far as how, you know, how do I find the relationship that's going to work for me? And the positive, the positive piece of, you know, without being, quote, toxically positive, you know, um, the, the positive piece of I, I deserve to be with somebody who's going to treat me with respect, who, you know, who's going to give me love and attention you know, and again, not 100%, 100% of the time, because that's a codependent relationship. And we don't want those, right? This idea of interdependency. Um, and just, you know, I always want to, I always choose people and, and not, 
you know, even platonic relationships. I went through a period of my life where I cut out anything I decided that was toxic for me. And it didn't mean that they were toxic people. Some of them were very lovely. But if the relationship was toxic for me, I didn't want it anymore. I didn't want, I didn't have time and the energy and the desire to be in toxic relationships. And that was a very painful experience for me to have to, to cut people out of my life, some of which had been in my life for a long time. I am so much happier. I, the people that are in my life give me what I give them. You know, I'm not the one that calls them every single time. They call me too, right? And it, it's this give and take. And so some of it is journal about that piece, right? Like, what do you actually want? It's like, well, I want somebody who's going to give me what I give them. So if I'm yelling at them, I'm probably going to get back what I'm giving, right? If I'm calling names, I'm probably going to get back what I'm giving, right? If I, if I show love with time, you know, do I receive love that way? Do I want somebody's time? You know, um, you know, so many women are like, well, he gave me this thing, right? But is that really how you receive love? Or do you receive love, receive love because he wrote you a letter instead? Or he took out the garbage every Monday night because garbage day is Tuesday and he just does. And you never have to ask. And that makes you feel loved. We receive love in so many different ways. And it's not, doesn't match always the way we give love. So start, how do I want to feel loved? How do I knowing your love language, right? Yeah. What is it that you, because your love language might be completely different than your partner's love language. And if you, uh, if, if acts of service is something that means something to you, then that's what you're going to want, want to put down on your little list of things that you want. I want somebody that does things for me without having to be told a million times. I want somebody to empty the dishwasher or bring me coffee or write me a note. Those are things that are important to you. Put that on there. But also, I'm a big believer in in order for us to know what we like, we should give it to ourselves. Sure. So, like flowers, get yourself flowers. If you like to go out to dinner, to fancy dinners, don't wait for somebody to take you there. Take yourself there. Yeah. Treat yourself to things so that other people can recognize what you value and then they can help give it that give that to you. So it's a matter of knowing yourself, getting very clear, like you said, with yourself before you can attract the right person to you. Absolutely. And, and so that's where that journaling is, is fun, fundamentally key. And, and there are books out there that have um, lots of different prompts. Um, there's a really great uh, product that I actually really love uh, by Switch Research, which is a Canadian company that's in conjunction with the University of British Columbia. And they've got a self-love journal. It's a 90-day journal. Every day has a prompt. And I am really excited to say that I'm partnering with them and we're putting out a trauma journal and hopefully it'll be out by December, but we can chat about that another time. Um, but their self-love journal is exactly that every day. And they're not hard prompts. They're, they're directive. It doesn't take a lot of time. So there, and there's more, so many really good products like that out there. So if journaling is hard, find something that that either looks pretty and it feels good to you or, or it's got the right focus. Um, there's another journal called the turtle journal. It's a different kind of a company. You can find it on Amazon and it's, it's on one side of it, of it is what's my goal for the day. What's my big dream. Um, you know, what's, what's my self care piece. 
and then it's got some very small prompts and then it has your daily calendar. So there's all different ways that people can get into journaling that helps that process piece you talked about earlier. And a lot of times you don't even need a fancy journal. I know that when I buy my daughter all those notebooks from for school every year, I go and stack up on those 25 cent notebooks that are on sale. And those can be my journals because they're spiral bound. They're easy to write. They're easy to flip, even though I have my own journal that um, that's available for people. But I, I use my journal. But at the same time, I also use these cheap little notebooks. Well, it doesn't I, have to be fancy. Right. So, you know, sometimes I just have like, here's my to do list in my notes. Sometimes that becomes my journal for the day. I just, you know, in my notes section and something's on my mind or um, I had a difficult interaction with somebody. Um I know with my own, you know, history of, of trauma um, and my my background in with with PTSD, um, being triggered is difficult, and knowing what those triggers are, and so sometimes just being able to write it down, and it's like, okay, now I'm done. I can let it go and move on on with the day, not let go of the trauma piece, like let, let go of what was making me anxious in that moment. So I have all sorts of sticky notes and notepads and things to write stuff down in the moment because it helps me let it get it out. And if I can get it out and I can take a couple of deep breaths, it'll help that anxiety start to calm down a little bit. And, um, and it's so, it's so important for people. Well, a lot of people don't like to, um, to write. So I always also say, just do a video, just get in your, get a, record yourself. You can delete it afterwards. It doesn't matter. Do, record yourself just saying everything you're thinking go off the thing with the journal is we're not filtered we can write about whatever and on video we want to like be very careful about what we say but if you can be in a private place and you can just go off maybe on your commute just turn on your phone and just go off and scream and get it all out of you that's another way to do it but I know that a lot of people might not necessarily be ready for the therapy part are there some really good books that you recommend for people to get started as far as just having a more insight and awareness about what's going on with them and then how they can help themselves? Because bibliotherapy is not going anywhere. It's it's really beneficial and helpful as far as a first step of working on ourselves and, and growing. Yeah, Amazon is actually by far, you know, one of the best um, resources because you type in any kind of you name it workbook and you will get one. Um, and so you, anything or Audible, uh, Kindle, you know, there, there are so many books on mindfulness, anxiety, toxic relationships, gaslighting, uh, you know, you name it, um, attracting the, you know, the people that you want in your life. So there's a lot of great stuff out there. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to share my, my book list um, with you for, you know, for your listeners as well. Um, I have a pretty, pretty extensive one right now. The ones that I, I really like is, is uh, Dr. Vander Kolk who wrote a book called the body keeps the score, but it is intense. So it is not for the, it is not a lighthearted read. I tell clients or, or people to just listen to it, listen to 20 minutes of it at a time um, because it, it's pretty heavy it is very good. And it's all about how we hold on to that emotionally, physically, spiritually. And it has this, this whole kind of approach, um, a mindfulness to work with more mindfulness and that self-help is John Kabat-Zinn has really great books. Um, Catastrophic Living is one of his, that 
That's a fantastic one. I like Matthew McKay's products. He has stuff, everything from very skills-based DBT, CBT workbook stuff to um, a self-esteem. He has a wonderful self-esteem planner. So every day, every, I mean, I'm sorry, every week is something different. And it's, I think a 52 week. So there, there's, there's really great stuff out there. Um, one of my favorite things to do is, is open up. I, um, have an audibles account and a podcast account and I open stuff up and I type in, okay, what's on anxiety today? And just Ted talks and whatever I can find and what I feel like I'm in the mood for. So, um, you know, being creative out there, but, but again, books, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff and then read the reviews, read people's reviews. That's how I choose the books, you know, is I, I read the reviews and see what people said about it. And then, you know, see, see what you come up with. Two books that I really like, and uh, I've referred so many people to Dr. Carol McBride that I should be getting some kind of commission back. But I should probably, <laughs> She probably doesn't even know I'm doing this, but her two books, Will I Ever Be Good Enough? Being mm-hmm. Reached by Narcissistic Parents. And then uh, Will I Ever Be Free of You? Getting Out of a Narcissistic Relationship. Two very powerful books. Uh, I highly recommend that uh, for people that are in this situation because it really helps you uh, understand what's going on and and give language, I guess, to your experience. So those are two books. And then I can share uh, your information as well uh, with everybody if you can send me that list. Besides everything you just shared, I think those are all really good, um, good books to start with, I guess. And they have right now, there's some really, really cool products. If you, if you're not a reader, I have a lot of clients that they, you know, don't give me any homework and don't give me, give me any reading. It's like, okay. Like you said, movies are great. Um, because we identify and we see ourselves in characters and we see our experiences. And so, you know, mo- movies are, are wonderful. You know, that, that, that's one idea. There's also things like, um, there's skills-based cards. So there's like, D, you know, you can get DBT cards. You can get self-love cards. You can get where you look through the deck of cards and you pick a different um, affirmation for the day. You know, so th- there's there's so many things out there that are geared for wellness. And so let's get out of this idea of mental illness, trauma's mental illness, anxiety's mental illness, and this idea of I have anxiety and I also have a... Uh, a wellness practice, you know, mm-hmm. and so there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. And, and like you said, finding, finding the mental health clinician that works for you, interview your people when you, you know, when you call up, what do you work with? Who's your specialty? How do you practice? If somebody says, well, you know, we, I do, um, and I'll just laugh at myself because I wanted to be a dance-based therapist when I first started studying and realized that those were not my people as a dancer. And yeah, I just was not, it was not my thing. So if I called a therapist and said, Hey, I'm looking for somebody who works, you know, who works with other psychologists who, um, you know, works with trauma. I've done EMDR. I've done all of these other things, you know, what do you do? And they're like, well, I do this, you know, somatic dance based practice that would not be the right person for me. So you can interview based on what they do and who they work with and how they work or have a conversation like, you know, like you said, right, have a conversation. And in five minutes, if you feel comfortable, and you feel like this is somebody that could help me, then that's probably a a good fit and try it for two or three sessions. I always joke and say, 
try it two or three sessions. If I am not the right person, you are not hurting my feelings. I will send you to somebody great. I'll send you to somebody great. Right. We're not going to be a good match for everyone. Yeah, no. And we can't work with everybody. And so, um, being able to, you know, as the listener, you know, when you're looking for someone being able to screen that out, you know, I, I like, I appreciate you saying I have, I have impressive credentials. That doesn't mean we're going to click, you know, I'm not, I am, I'm directive and I'm, I'm, you know, I work with some, some very intense personalities and I am an intense person that doesn't work for everybody. My personality, my sarcasm, my humor does not work for everyone. And I would not be a good therapist, you know, for, for somebody who is, it, it doesn't like that kind of personality type. And so I think those are really important things. It's not just credentials. And so when we're looking at relationships and choosing people, think about that too. apply that to choosing a relationship, right? Like, I can have somebody who's got 10 to, you know, 10 to college degrees and, and that's of importance to me. I, I, you know, education is important to me, but it could be that the love of my life never went to college and is the sweetest person and is caring and giving and stable and wonder, right? So getting out of our own way as women, we, we want to make it difficult and it doesn't always have to be. Right. Right. And, and there are some people that are drawn to me because I don't focus that, that I'm very holistic and I focus on nutrition and, and whole body wellness. And there's some people that are like, I don't like that. Like you said, that's too much homework. That's too much for me to do. Just give me a pill and call it a day. Right. And I was like, then I'm not that person for you. And that's fine. We're, we don't take that's what people don't understand is we're, we're trained not to take that personally. We know we're not going to be a good match for everyone. And so if you try us for two to three days or, or us or whoever, yeah. two to three sessions and you're like, you know what, it's just not a good fit. Maybe you guys can work it out. Maybe you want to go find somebody else. And that's you keep trying until you find the right fit. Yep. Yeah. And so relationships are the same. Right. And so we, you know, it's a good place to end because, you know, relationships are the same. Don't stick with it if it doesn't feel good. Like exactly. Right. Exactly. Just keep moving. And if somebody rejects you for whatever reason, don't take that personally. They're doing you a favor. And so move on and go on to the next person. And that was a really good way, like you said, to bring it all back together. So uh, where can people find you and connect with you if they want to either work with you or reach out to you in some way? Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, we you know, I have, a, I have an amazing staff. I'm very blessed. I have, I have a great team. And so um Send us an email. You can find me. It's my name. So if you take a screenshot right now, it's joelle at joelrabomelitis.com. Um, you can find us, again, my name, Joel Rabo Melitis and Associates is our all of our um, socials, uh, but we're on every platform. And we just love getting emails and talking to people. And I'm happy to refer you on. Um, we've got, we're licensed in California, Texas, Montana, and then we're working on about four other states. And then we have offices on the East Coast and I do some coaching as well. So um, reach out to me. And, and if I'm not not the right person or I can't answer your question, I will send you on to the one the one that can. So and thanks again for having me. It's always a pleasure talking with you. It's so much fun. I feel like we could just keep going and going and <laughs> We could. And I and trauma is one of my favorite topics to talk about. So I'm so glad that I found you. I really appreciate you coming back and talking to me again. Um, and hopefully we'll do this again. Who knows? There could be there's so many areas we could definitely tackle. So 
Absolutely. It sounds great. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. I hope this conversation with Joelle was beneficial for you or someone you know that may have experienced a traumatic or toxic relationship. Self-care is very important for those exposed to trauma. I've created a free self-care guide to help you get started with taking better care of yourself. To download your free guide and learn more about Joelle, visit transforminganxiety.com 42. When you're there, go ahead and leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts about this episode. If you haven't already, you can show support for the Mental Health Break podcast by subscribing wherever you're tuning in from today. Also, if you're enjoying the Mental Health Break podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts since that'll make it easier for others to find the podcast. I can't wait to see you here next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now. Bye for now.